The Lord be with you. It's good to be with you today, this morning. My name is Jenna. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar. And I don't want you to tell Pastor John this, but I do have a love-hate relationship with something that he does when he preaches. And I guarantee that if you've been around long enough, you know what I'm talking about. He begins his sermon with a story. It's a story about a pillar friend or someone he pastored previously in another church. And you know it's going to be good. He sets it up beautifully. He lays the scene out before us. And just as we get to the good part, the peak, the climax, he says something like this. And what they said next was profound. And I'm going to tell you about it in a few minutes. And sometimes he adds, if there's time. (laughs) Pro tip, there's always time. It's the cliffhanger of sermons, and I didn't know that was possible to have. And maybe that's why it bugs me so much, because it's so genius. But who can nod off in the pew after that? We need to know what happens. So guess what? (laughs) I was visiting a pillar friend this past Monday, Her name is Janet, Janet Wissiger. She is on the cusp of turning 87 years old. She is the mom to Diana Bast, the mother-in-law then, of course, to Dave Bast, who we loved and lost to cancer a few years back when he was 45. And Janet recently reminded me how awful that was. Janet moved into Vista Springs Assisted Living when her beloved husband, Dick, when his memory faded enough to need memory care there. And so they moved into the memory care unit together. She refused to leave his side, and she was the only one living in the memory care unit who didn't need memory care. Then COVID happened. When COVID attached itself to Dick's body, he couldn't recover. He died. And now Janet lives on her own in a cozy little apartment in Vista Springs with windows facing to the south so that she can look out and receive also sunshine most of the day when the sun is shining. Also, right outside her window, beyond her little writing desk, are some big bushes, and they're just starting to bud for the spring. And she says that's her favorite time in spring is when those bushes bud and bloom. Janet's mind is very much alive. And yet, in recent months, it seems like her body has been failing her. And so hospice has been called in. Janet's story, what I know of it, contains so much. It contains some of the deepest areas of pain. It also contains some of the most tender moments of Christ's comfort. She's seen a lot. And if you know her, you'll understand that when I say 
There's never a dull moment or a dull conversation with Janet. I'm telling the truth. At 86, she's still got a lot to say and a lot to offer. At the very end of my visit on Monday this week, I asked Janet a question. And what she said in response was profound. And in a few minutes, I'll tell you what she said, if there's time. For now, it's Palm Sunday. And I want us to listen to a Palm Sunday sermon or story together this morning. This one is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to just listen, you may. If you want to follow along, it's Matthew 21. When they, that's Jesus and his disciples, when they had come near Jerusalem and reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to two of his disciples, go into the village ahead of you. There you'll find a colt tied and, or a donkey tied and a colt next to her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, her king comes humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they put their cloaks on them and he sat on them. And a very large crowd gathered and spread their cloaks on the road and others cut down branches from trees and put them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and the crowd that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? And the crowds were saying, that is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is something like my 32nd Palm Sunday of my life, which I guess that means that probably in conscious memory there are roughly 25 Palm Sunday sermons in church that I have heard. And I wrestled thinking initially about this sermon because I, always, I want so badly to offer something new and fresh, something that hasn't been heard before. But pretty quickly, I realized there's probably literally nothing ever, I could say, that hasn't already been said before. And if I did have a hot take on this passage, you probably should be asking some important questions about my theology. So I just want to offer something that's true today. There's so much that's to be found in this Palm Sunday story but I just want to name two things. There's something that must be acknowledged 
And there's something that changes everything. Something that must be acknowledged. I want to have us listen again to verse 5. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew points us to this hundreds-year-old prophecy of Zechariah fulfilled in this moment, in this journey into Jerusalem. And Matthew takes special care to emphasize the humble and gentle nature of Jesus' arrival. And of course, of course it is, of course he is. He's our compassionate brother and friend. But in the midst of that emphasis, we also just simply can't lose sight of the fact that he also comes as king. Yes, he's humble. He doesn't announce his arrival or or gather all the crowds. They gather themselves. He's riding on a donkey, symbolizing nonviolence, pointing to peace. He's riding what a servant would ride. He's not coming to conquer, but to die. But none of that takes away anything from the reality that he is coming as king. Humans acknowledge it. People placing their clothing on the road ahead of him so that that not even his donkey would need to step on the dust. It was their way of saying, we'll give this and more to support you. Just tell us what you need. It was also a symbol, really, as old as time. Anyone who knew their scripture would know that this was a sign of allegiance to a king being proclaimed in defiance of an existing king, which also tells you a lot about what they believed to be happening that day. Those same people waved palm branches, also having illusions of royalty attached to that. They sang royal hymns of Hosanna, Somehow, in some way, the people knew that something big was happening and they were in the presence of a king. So the people recognized it and Jesus acknowledged it. One could even see this moment as a sort of coming out of his lordship publicly. You heard him say to his disciples, if anyone sees you and asks you anything, just say this, the Lord needs it. He makes clear who he is. And and he also doesn't deny, when people start praising him, he doesn't deny them naming him as king. He receives their accolades because he's worthy of them. Jesus knows that outing himself in this way is essentially saying, Crown me or kill me because you'll find those are really the two options available to someone in his shoes. And he knows, of course, he's fulfilling prophecy and he lets it happen. Why? Because he is the king. Remember when Matthew recorded that the whole city was in turmoil, turmoil, asking who is this? Well, I want to point out that the word used here, turmoil, it can be translated in any number of ways, but the Greek word is seo, 
it, in English, it would look like, or with our English letters, it would look like S-E-I-O. And that's where we get our word seismic from, a.k.a. This word holds earth-quaking implications. So maybe shaken would be a better way to say it, or as we might say, shook. Matthew uses this word, seo, in only four places, very specifically and strategically placed in his gospel. And every instance has to do with reactions to significant moments in Jesus' life. The first one being, Jesus is born. Magi come to worship him by way of Pharaoh and the city, or not, (laughs) by way of Herod, and the city is shaken because they don't know how Herod's going to respond. Next is here. He rides into Jerusalem, announcing the dawning of salvation, and the city is shook. They're shaken. Next will come later this week on Good Friday. At Jesus' death, there is a literal earthquake, shaken. And then, not to spoil the good news coming ahead, but the soldiers next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, will read the soldiers guarding Jesus' tomb when they realized his body was missing. They were shaken to their core to the point of looking dead. So yes, Jesus is humble because that's the kind of king he is. He's the servant king. He's the king who washes the feet of his friend, the king who lays down his life for another. But in recognizing and celebrating that he comes in peace, we cannot minimize that he is king. This must be acknowledged. He's the king who literally is shaking up the world, and that king requires allegiance. I like the way Tim Keller put it. He said something like this. I think I remember it close enough. He said, salvation is the king putting himself in the place of a servant. Sin is the servant putting themselves in the place of a king. Our humble king, Jesus, requires allegiance, not competition with his role. Do you see where I'm going here? I'm wondering, where in your life do you need to yield to that king? What are you grasping so tightly to that you need to release? Monday morning, the news of another mass shooting in Nashville, in a school, in a church. This news was nothing short of devastating and horrifying. And yet, at the same time, we can no longer call these kinds of events unthinkable. We can think of them. We have to think of them because they happen regularly in this country. So what do you need to release? Well, as they say on TikTok or Reels or whatever, I'll go first. 
I want to hold on tight to my little boy and never let him go. I'll homeschool him, then he'll be safe. We should stay away from grocery stores, do a little more, you know, pick up shopping. Movie theaters don't seem like a good idea either. Concerts will probably be a no-go for him. These are all thoughts that I've had. But I don't stop there. I'll keep him off social media, then he'll be safe. I'll track his every move when he starts gaining independence and driving. I won't let him drive in, in poor weather conditions. I'll never let anything happen to him. Unfortunately, there's only one king that has room in Thomas's life and in my life. When the king takes on humility, salvation happens. When the servant takes on kingship, well, at best, I would say, we live lives that are a shell of themselves, racked with worry, fear, anxiety. That's at best. At worst, we actively work against God's purposes in the world. So how's that for a Palm Sunday sermon? Only in my best moments, in some of the sweetest minutes of putting Thomas down, my son, to bed for the night, reading and singing and praying, laying him down to sleep, sometimes I am able to whisper over him, I love you so much, Thomas, and Jesus loves you more, and that's what makes it all okay. Jesus is king, the humble servant king, and he requires our allegiance. And I also want to add in our last few minutes together something that changes everything. Every year on this Sunday, we join the folks in the street, quite literally, waving palm branches, singing and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, meeting save, please, save, now. And it's unclear when we read the intention or the tone of those voices. Was it, was it a plea? Was it a prayer? Please, Jesus, Hosanna. Or was it more like a shout of acclamation, something more akin to, God save the king, Hosanna. We may never know, but it doesn't change what we do know about the hopes of the people who were singing it. A lot can change in 2,000 years. Outside of at least one thing, Israel wanted political freedom. They wanted to regain power, if you will, control. They wanted renewal as a nation outside of the hand of their oppressor. At the time, their oppressor was called Rome. And can you blame them? What else would Jesus be coming for? If not that, it has to be. But their imagination was too small. And our imaginations are too small. It's a pattern kind of like clockwork. When things hit the fan, 
we turn to Jesus. And I'm not just saying that or making it up. It's statistically speaking, religious fervor and church attendance are highest, at least in our nation, when tragedy happens. And generously, I can say, good, good, turn to Jesus. Where else is there to turn when the world seems to be falling apart, when systems oppress, and when there's a prognosis given, and when wars are waging at home and in the world, where else do we turn? Turn to Jesus, yes. And he will do it. He will fix everything, whether it's in this time now since he came in riding on a donkey to Jerusalem or if it isn't until that time that he comes back riding on the steed of a horse, he will do it. And in all the things you ask of him, all will be well. But for the Israelites, on that road, on that first Palm Sunday, yes, Rome would fall in a few centuries, because their identified problem, Rome, wasn't the enemy that Jesus came to defeat that day. Jesus came for the bigger enemy, capital B, capital E, bigger enemy, the one Israel didn't even know they were longing for liberation from. The one we sometimes forget that we need freedom from too, so that in the end all will be well. And Jesus knew then and knows now our deepest desires and longings. And that is what he came to say yes to. The result of that is that sometimes he also has to say no or wait to the things right now that feel most desperate to us. Not because he loves you too little to care, but because he loves you that much and knows you that much to see beyond what you think you need to get to the heart of what he knows you need. Freedom from the clutches of sin that brings destruction. Making a way for God to live inside of us. That's crazy if you think about it. God in us. Giving himself Christ giving himself to you and to me in a way that we couldn't imagine or dream up ourselves. Deliverance from death itself. He did this all for a people who would be disappointed because he didn't do the thing that they thought they needed. And I think it's possible and even probable that you'll feel disappointed by him too. The depression isn't going away. The bills continue to pile up. The relationship is still lost. The longing isn't going away. I get it. I've been disappointed by those things too and many more things. If Jesus coming to Jerusalem as king means that to us means that he'll fix everything in the way that we're asking very real problems, I also want to say. If it, if it means to us that he'll fix all of those things right now, we will be disappointed. 
What came to mind as I was reflecting on this reality was the time that my brother Luke in high school was attempting a ski jump at Bittersweet Hills and, well, it didn't go well. He ended up with a broken arm. And I'm imagining, and this is imagination now, I'm imagining that he gets to the hospital and he sees the doctor and he says, doctor, thank you, I, I need a Band-Aid bone sticking out of his arm. I know you'll help me, I just need a Band-Aid. And make no mistake, the doctor is gonna fix it, but he's gotta scrub in for surgery first. On Palm Sunday, Israel was asking for a Band-Aid. Jesus was scrubbing in for surgery. We ask for Band-Aids, Jesus scrubs in for surgery. That's what I'm talking about. Because he loves you more than to just answer only in the way that you think you need. That's Palm Sunday, and that changes everything. So, Janet. I visited Janet on Monday afternoon in her little apartment at Vista Springs. She's in hospice care now, although the timeline of that all, there isn't much clarity. She thinks about heaven. She wonders what it will be like to die. She doesn't want to be forgotten. Who does? She wonders and seeks after what God might still have her do in her time left on earth. When I visited her, I thought it would be fun to get her take on this Sunday's passage. So we read Matthew 21 together. And she asked some really great questions. How did the people know? Why did Jesus cry? Just pulling from Luke's account. And at the end of the visit, I asked her a question, and this was the question. Janet, if there's one thing that you hope people at Pillar leave Palm Sunday knowing about Jesus, what would it be? And she sat for quite a few moments thinking, and then she said this, He loved them so much. And I think that's true. He loved the people so much. He loved them as he died. He loved them on Palm Sunday. He loved the people so much. You know, sometimes I wonder, am I on the right track? Because I think I am. And I know he loves me, and I want to love him as much as he loves me. Or more. But of course I couldn't do that. He loves me more. But the fact that he loves us so much, why should we turn against him? Because he does love us. That's wonderful. Yep. It's Palm Sunday. And he loved them so much. He loved the people so much. It's Palm Sunday and he loves you. He loves you so much. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.